Well, Happy New Year, everyone. And I'm sure um, the last few weeks have been filled with um, spending time with people, family, and friends, and I pray that it was a, a blessed time. And I can remember in 2012, um, I spent a lot of time with my friend named Josh. Um, Josh and I would uh, meet up weekly and just hang out, and we'd get into some really deep conversations. And Josh made it clear that he was a, an atheist, and he knew that uh, I was a, a Christian. And our, our conversations were civil, although he would take some cheap shots now and then. And, uh, and as we talked, I wasn't surprised about his personal reasons for being an atheist. He had, had some experience or interactions with Christians as he grew up, and it was really negative interactions. Um, and he also had some logical reasons of why he was an atheist. I didn't agree with the, the, um, the argument, but it was a logical argument, so he wasn't crazy. But that's not what surprised me. What surprised me the most was his certainty that he had in his atheistic beliefs. I mean, he had a fervor. He, he was so certain of himself. He was so sure. And that is what struck me the most. And as I interacted with him, I, I was kind of left, um, kind of conflicted or confused because I really didn't know how to respond to him, this person who had such a, a, a certainty that there was no God of the universe. And I started to feel this, this sense welling up in me, the sense that I feel left unchecked um, could really uh, hurt. That, that sense of wanting, that sense of fear or that, that sense of avoidance, just avoiding him or people like him or, or that hate. Like, why does he have to be like that? Or, or worst of all, the apathy, just not caring. And once that sets in, we're no longer fulfilling our vocational call on our front lines. And, and so we have to ensure that that, that, does, that doesn't happen. And we come into people with Josh all the time on our front lines. They have this vibrant faith in something. You guys um, interact with people all the time. It might be in in another world religion. It might be with a philosophy, with a new age kind of thinking. It might be with politics or even psychology. And there's this sense where they they worship that. They're so sure of what it is that they believe. So, how do we respond? And... How do we have certainty during those interactions? And that is what we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks as we look into the Gospel of Luke in a, in a sermon series that we're titling Faith on the Front Lines. And as Christians, we have a trustworthy and certain faith that empowers our front lines. We are people of the Word, the good news of Jesus Christ. We are in Christ, and this certainty allows us Um, to impact our front lines, to redeem all things for Christ and advance His kingdom with 100% confidence. And so the title of today's message is A Certain Faith. So if you're not there already, go ahead and turn to Luke or look on the back of your bolt and you'll look at, uh, we'll look at Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Now I just want to give you a little context to the book of Luke. The gospel of Luke was written by Luke, uh, who was not an apostle. Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul, and Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So you'll see some similarities between Luke and Acts. Luke is almost a a, um, a prelude to Acts. And Luke was a Gentile. He was a Greek. He was not a Jew, 
Um, he was what they called back then a God-fearer, someone who either was a convert to Judaism or had an affinity towards Judaism. He did believe in the God of the Bible. And in Colossians 4.14, we read that vocationally, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And he, as we look at the, the gospel of Luke, his, his writings, we see that he writes in a way that a historian would write. He, it's actually a very, um, and literally, like in a literal sense, it's, it's a beautiful gospel. Uh, written in a really Greek, classical, historic style. And so we see that he's a physician, but he's also a historian. And as we read, you see that he addresses uh, someone called Theopolis. Now, Theopolis um, was, was somebody who was perhaps a non-Jew that, was, uh, that, that uh, sponsored this work of, of Luke. It took money, it took resources to write, Back then, it wasn't like what we had today where you could just write on a computer. It took a lot. Um, but Luke's audience is a much bigger audience than Theopolis. It's, it's to the Gentile world. It's even beyond that to the, the Jewish world as well. He wants to bridge this gap. And, and his, one of his main goals is to provide certainty for those that have been taught the things of Jesus Christ. And so... That's what his goal is. That, that's what he wants. So today what I want to do is I want to look at three certainties that we have in our faith which empower our front lines. Now, these three things that we're going to look at today will be unpacked in detail throughout the several weeks as we go through our sermon series. So let me pray and ask God to bless this time. Father, we entreat you by your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Prepare our hearts to hear your word. May we learn from you. May we listen to you as we interact with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing we see is we have certainty in a biblical faith. When we look at Scripture, when we look at the Bible, there's a, there's a unique coherence within the Bible. In verse 1 we see many have undertaken to draw up or set forth permanently in writing an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Luke is referencing the other gospel accounts written by Matthew, Mark, and John, and, and the other biblical scripture that is being circulated at that time. He's recognizing that there's gospel accounts that have been written that, that, that are out there. And I don't know if we really realize the, the implications of this, just him just saying this, because back then it was, it was uh, punishable by death to declare... Um, Christ as Lord. So they're, crying, they're, they're, they're declaring in writing something that somebody could pick up that Christ is Lord, not Caesar, and they're declaring that these things, these, these things that have been long talked about have been fulfilled in Christ. Now when I talked to my friend Josh, he had certainty in numerous sources produced by some really excellent scholars that had unbelievable academic pedigrees from from the social science arena, from the academic arena, from the medical arena. And he'd present these things to me that would undergird his faith in, his, in, in atheism. But by his own admission, these experts at times would retract or redact or change their conclusions from time to time. And we see this um, often even in, in other faith beliefs. You see that happening, especially when people talk about the, the coming of the Lord. Some cults have said, oh, the Lord has already come. Oh, wait, well, maybe he's come again, and they have to change. They have to change things around. Or perhaps we've seen it in some other uh, philosophies of thought where we've changed, um, I think, of psychology, where 
the, 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 the manual that governs psychology has changed numerous times over the years where things that used to be called, um, be, uh, called uh, a, a, a mental issue are no longer a mental issue because it's been in line with the signs of our times. And these things have to be altered to preserve relativity and fluidity that adapts to the spirit of our age. The problem is that where relativity reigns, certainty is destroyed. And when certainty is destroyed, fear and anxiety just come in and take over. And we feel that, don't we? When we go and we interact with people and the, the culture, it's just we feel this sense of, of, of uncertainty, this fear, and we sometimes get caught up in it. But we have certainty because the Holy Spirit worked through 40 people with terrible pedigrees. These weren't academic scholars. They were people from all walks of life. Over 1,500 years to produce 66 books with a cohesive story that is 100% relevant in all times. And it doesn't change. So Scripture is what anchors us. It's what provides us that certainty. We have certainty in the prophetic accuracy of the Bible. Luke writes, these things have been fulfilled among us. There, there were multiple prophecies of the coming Messiah that were proclaimed in the Old Testament. And here Luke is saying, those things have been completed. They've been completed by, by, by Christ. Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. And this is a bold statement again by Luke because people could at that time confront Luke and say, that didn't happen. What are you talking about? I mean, how many times do you have to be wrong to be a false prophet or for something to be a false document? How many times do you have to be wrong? Once. Just one time. And Luke is putting it out there and saying, this, ha this, this is what happened. Christ fulfilled this. Opening it up for anyone to say, no, that didn't happen that way. And people tried to quantify these prophecies that have been fulfilled in Christ, and they use numbers. And I'm a horrible at numbers. I took math for liberal arts majors. You know, I got ten fingers. That's ten. And so, so you know, accuracy and cohesiveness and, and, and stats are great. They're important. But the main reason we have certainty is because our biblical faith is centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is contained in Scripture. Later in the, uh, God, the, the Luke's Gospel, he records Christ saying in Luke 24, 44 through 47, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, everything in the Old Testament. He told them that is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Jesus is saying everything was fulfilled in me. I fulfilled everything. And as we meditate on what Christ has fulfilled and what he will fulfill, be, be fulfilling in the future, we change. The people of God need to know the word of God. And in the absence of the word of God, we adopt truths from different sources. Some of these sources are good things, but they mean nothing apart from Scripture. Sometimes we, we, we glom onto the power of positivity. But if that's not rooted in Scripture, it means nothing. Sometimes it's behavior, uh, behavior models that we grasp onto. But if it's not rooted in Scripture, it means nothing. Because it can't withstand 
the, 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 the times. It can't withstand the, the ebb and flow of, of, the, of the cultural tides. It must be rooted in God's word. We don't do that when we just adopt these other things. It produces uncertainty. So we need God's word to root us, to ground us. Now, how many of you made New Year's resolutions this year? The rest of you, you're just, you need to repent because you're, you're, you're lying to me right now. You're in a church, come on! All right. I, I want to I wanna ask you to just maybe consider this resolution. I want you to be resolved to waste time. Be resolved to waste time with God in His Word. Now, I'm not talking about reading through the Bible real fast to acquire more knowledge. I'm saying enter into the courts of God, to His throne room, through His Word, and just spend time with Him. This isn't efficient. Now, some of you are sitting here going, I don't have time for this, Brian. You said it's not efficient. If it's not efficient, I don't have time for it. You don't have time not to do this. Now, some of you might have already picked up on, on as I've been um, going through this point, you're saying, listen, so what you're telling me, Brian, is the Bible is true, and we have certainty in the Bible because it says it's true. Yes, that's what I'm saying. The Bible, whatever the Bible says about itself, it's self-authenticating, is true. But you might say, well, that's circular reasoning, Brian. It is circular reasoning. We believe that, and that's enough for us because, again, what the Bible says is true is true. But we have so much more than that, which leads me to my second point. We have certainty in a historic faith. We have certainty because the things that are proclaimed in Scripture happened in time and space. This wasn't something that we made up. Verse 2 says, Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. Just as those gospel accounts were handed to us, these things happened. Eyewitnesses, there were eyewitnesses to this thing. Luke is making it, making it clear that our faith is connected with the historic faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, fulfilled in Christ, encapsulated by the apostles' teaching, who were eyewitnesses to this historic event. And here's the thing. As he's writing this, some of the apostles are still alive. People could go and say, hey, did this happen? And so Luke is opening, opening it up to, to an external witness of, of the claims of Scripture, of the claims of what Christ has done. And like a good historian, Luke highlights throughout his entire account the fact that these things that we claim as Christians were not done in secret. A lot of times when you talk to people from a, a different faith or from a different philosophy or whatever, those things were done in secret. There's this secret knowledge that you have to have. But here, Luke is making it clear, these things were not done in secret. We could trace them to a specific time and place. In Luke 2, 1 through 2, he talks about this happened during the, the, the reign of Caesar Augustus, during the time where there was a, a worldwide decree of a census that would be taken throughout the entire world. And, and he, he caveats that in verse 2, that at the time, um, there was a specific governor of Syria. In Luke 3, 1 through 2, he says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and, and uh, Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of 
Abilene during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas. You might sit there and go, wow, that's a lot of words. It is. Um, <laughs> I hate saying those words. <laughs> the point here is he's very specific about when these things happen. He's specific. He's saying, listen, external historic sources, go ahead and test this. And we do. We see this. Historic documentation outside of the Bible confirms these things. Now, some of us this Christmas season might have received the gift of Ancestry.com. And I actually find that fascinating. Um, My father-in-law got uh, something from Ancestry.com from his sister, and it was funny as he was tracing his, his, his lineage, it was, it was funny to hear him kind of almost like interpret like, oh, that's, that's like a tradition that we've had for years in our family. I, wow, that makes sense now. Oh, I didn't know we came from there. That, that makes sense now. And so we see that even in our own family history, we interpret our family history through, through um, things like ancestry, our family tree, and, we, and it makes sense to us as we kind of delve into those things. And the same thing matters for us as Christians. History matters. History matters because history is the context in which we must interpret our Christian journey through. But many of us, and many, many of us just kind of discard thousands of years of history. And when we do that, that opens it up for, for personal revelations that damage the kingdom of God. This is the way that, that cults come in. This is the way that they, they are formed because they're disconnected with a historical witness of the body of believers in Christ. This is the way that theological liberalism, those that don't hold to the authority of Scripture, we would be considered conservative, uh, conservative theologically. This has nothing to do with politics. It's just that we hold the Scripture um, and the authority of Scripture very high. We believe in the authority of Scripture. And many people have not. They've tossed it aside to be relevant with the culture. But even for us, when we toss thousands of years of historic witness of Christ, it becomes, we, we end up procuring this private, private, privatization of our faith. There is no more cloud of witnesses. There is no more connection with the history. It's just about us and Jesus, and that's all that, that matters. But today we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper, which connects us with every believer that has ever been. When we go, we realize that this is a foreshadowing that when we sit at the table physically with Christ, next, next time it'll be with the body of believers, people that we've never even met, the body of Christ. And it can also produce, when we discard a history of consumerism, where when we come into this room and when we're on our front lines, instead of being uh, our Christian life being about the rendering of Jesus Christ, rendering everything to God, it's about, I want to be fed. And this consumerism develops when we disconnect from our history. But we have a certainty because we have been handed down this ancient tradition of the apostles contained in Scripture through the sacrifice of the believers that went before us. And those things are preserved in things like our historic creeds. That's why we say the Apostles' Creed. We don't just say the Apostles' Creed because it's something fun to do. We do it because it connects us with the believers that went before us. Think about this. They said the creed, like us, affirming the, the core tenets of our Christian faith. People we've never met have done that. People that we will meet in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ when he consummates his kingdom. 
So history matters. History matters because it informs our legacy. You heard David talk about legacy, that he, he, he answered the call to go to Harvard and on that mission field because of the legacy. And we have to ask ourselves, what legacy do we want to leave? Do we want to leave a legacy of uncertainty, of fear and anxiety? Or do we want to leave a legacy that is rooted in the certainty of the transformative gospel of Jesus Christ? History matters. History matters because our God, the God of history, broke in historically at a, at a time and place so that he could change our history. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the eternal God, stepped down from heaven and became a human being clothed in flesh, lived a perfect and righteous life, was crucified, died, but he was resurrected three days later, and we put our faith and trust in him. Yes, our sins are forgiven, but his righteousness is imputed to us. God sees us, and he says, you are righteous in Christ. But that's not it. He's coming back to renew all things physically. And we have a hand in that renewal right now on our front lines. That's the good news of the gospel. Thirdly, we have, a, we have certainty in a verifiable faith. Now, when I would talk to Josh, and sometimes when he would throw one of his cheap shots out there, he would say, I can't be a Christian because I would have to check my mind at the door. And maybe you've heard that. But that's not true. We have certainty because our faith can be tested. It can be tested. Verse 3 Luke says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Remember, Luke is a doctor and a historian. He's detailed. And what he does, he, he employs this, this Greek investigative method to look at all the documentations, to interview all the eyewitnesses, and, and come up with a comprehensive gospel account. He's not... Um, He's not okay with second-hand knowledge. He wants to investigate it. He wants to dig in. He wants to test the claims of Christ. And he does this, and he can do this, because the information's out there. The people are there. But you see, a person's faith is only as good as the object they rest their faith upon. And Luke knows that. And we could be confident because our faith rests in the, the, the embodiment of truth, Jesus Christ. It's on the truth. Christ embodied truth. And our object of faith is Christ. If you want to look at other philosophies, others, other religions, look at the, the, the person they venerate, that they hold up. Look at the character. We know that we have a true, the true character, the embodiment of truth, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And we could dig into that. We could test that. I know some of us have questions. We're a church of questions. We want you to question because the more you question, the more you dig in, the more you investigate your uncertainty, the more you become certain of your faith. Some of you are sitting here, and you're sitting here because it's the good thing to do on Sunday. Maybe you're supporting your spouse. You're like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to go and I'll go with them. That's what my family does on Sunday. Maybe, you're, uh, maybe you, it's because your parents said, you know, you should come. And you're like, I want to, uh, you know, I'm going to obey my parents and I'll come. 
but you've never really tested the claims of Christ. And I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to the Alpha Check It Out dinner on the 31st of January. This is a great opportunity, a great environment to actually test the claims of what Christ has to say. Just don't sit here. Test it. Be certain. As I close, as I interacted with Josh, he asked some really good questions. He brought up some really good things. And at the end of it, I became really certain about my faith in Jesus. And that's the only way this this thing is is, is going to happen. We have to test it. And this time tomorrow, someone is going to make a a bold statement of fact on your front line. It's either going to be at work, at school, at the grocery store, on social media. Someone's going to put a bold statement of fact that totally confronts your faith in Jesus Christ. How are you going to respond? The temptation to compromise, to walk away, or ignore will only prolong the self-confrontation that you need to have. Listen, this is more than just being certain in your faith in Christ. This is about knowing God, knowing yourself in relation to God, and becoming your true self God has created you to be in order to bring Him glory on your front lines. Certainty is, is this transformative action that happens when knowing about our faith in Christ changes into knowing Christ, which empowers us to redeem all things for Christ. And as we journey through Luke, my prayer is that we'll come before God with all of our anxieties, with all of our fears, with all of our uncertainties, fully exposed, ready to to be transformed by the certainty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are a good and gracious God. We thank you for the certainty that we have in Jesus. We thank you that we do not have to be afraid of anything. That we are firmly rooted in you, the maker of all things. Empower us. Give us certainty on our front lines. May we grow in grace as we, as we, we travel on this journey through Luke. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.